I am grateful to God for this time and for giving me another opportunity this year to share God's word with you, dear people. What I want to do today is look at Genesis chapter 32. It's a story about Jacob and Esau. And my prayer is that we will be able to pick a few things. If I was to title this sermon, I would title it as The End, but The Beginnings. Okay? So, I do not know how far it, you know, you will understand what I'm trying to say. It's the end, but it is the real beginning. Now, <clears throat> the background to this chapter, chapter 32 of Genesis, is that Jacob had you know, stolen the birthright of Esau by deceiving his father Isaac. And to escape the wrath of his brother Esau, he runs to his mother's brother's place, Laban. And he lives there for 20 years. He actually works 14 years for two wives. That is the daughter of Laban, Rachel and Leah. And he has now 12 kids, one daughter, Dina, and uh, so, and at the end of 20 years, God comes to him and tells him that now you go back to your home. And so he is listening to God and he's saying, I better get back because he feels that Laban, his uncle, has been cheating him and has been changing the things, you know, in terms of his wages. He was feeling, you know, he's been trying to trick him and trying to, you know, exploit him. So he calls his wife out in the wilderness where he is feeding the sheep and tells them, you know, this is a story about your dad. You know, he's playing hooky with me. It's time we all go. And his wife says, do what you want. And he is going. He is running away from Laban, literally. And Laban is chasing after him. And they come to a point where Laban catches up with him. But God tells Laban, don't even dare say anything against this guy. Forget about doing anything to Jacob, but don't even dare speak anything against him. The night before he meets Jacob. Because Jacob is God's chosen. Whatever it is, however bad this guy is, it has pleased the good Lord to choose him. So when he is running away, if I'm not mistaken, in chapter 28, he is sleeping in a place which he later names as Bethel, and God says that I will be with you. I'll bring you back. I'll make you a nation. Means like I'll bless you. Okay, so don't worry. He goes off. He leaves his home with nothing. And he says, I'll bring you back with, you know, I'll make you a prince almost. You know, that's what it, the promise is. We will look at you. We will look at that as we go on. So that is, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. That was the promise of God in chapter 28. And so... Here, Jacob is running away from his brother, having cheated him of his birthright by deceiving his father, and God promising him his presence with him. He is gone, he spent 20 years with his uncle, and at the end of his time, he's got his 12 kids, a daughter, he's got a multitude of sheep and goats and donkeys and whatever it is, a men's servant and maids and you know, all of those, and he is now going back to his home. 
and Laban comes, tries to create problem, but God stops him, and they build a few, put a few stones as you will not cross over this place to harm me. I will not cross over to harm you. They make a covenant, and Laban is out of the picture, and on continues with Jacob. Now Jacob have settled things with his father-in-law, and now is again on his way home. But he has another hurdle. And what is this? His brother, from whom he had cheated his birthright. Jacob had been running for a long time, 20 years. He has been running away from his past. But now he can't run anymore. He will have to face his past. He will have to face his brother. Right off the bat, one of the, story, one of the things that we need to learn is we can't run away from our past. It will hunt us down. We have to face it and settle it. You know, our past is going to hunt us down. However hard we try to run away from our past, our past will hunt us down if we have not faced it and settled it by God's grace. And that is what we are going to see. It's amazing that if you look at chapter 33, you know, <clears throat> he, uh, his brother comes to him and this is what Jacob has to say. You know, uh, so... Uh, uh, Esau comes to him and says, what do you mean by this? And, you know, we'll, we'll see the story. But in verse 9, uh, you know, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. So he, he basically doesn't want to take anything of Jacob. He says, I have you, that is enough. And he goes on to, and this is what Jacob has to say. Uh, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. You know, by the grace of God, when Esau comes to meet with him, at the end of the story, Esau loves him. And he says, I don't even want your gifts. I'm happy you're back home. And Jacob's response is, it is like I have seen the face of God. And I don't think he was trying to, you know, uh, you know, butter him up. Actually, it was like seeing the face of God. Because when we see the face of God, we understand the unmerited favor that God has shown to us. Actually, Esau would have been legitimate in demanding restitution from his brother. For he has cheated him of his birthright. But Esau doesn't do anything like that. He is gracious. He is kind. He is just happy that his kid brother is back home. That is how the story ends. But we need to realize by God's grace that we can't run run from our past. It will hunt us down. We have to face it and settle it. Let me read a few verses from chapter 32. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. That is after Laban has departed and returned home. He's finished his business with Laban, his uncle, and he's on his way. And the angels of God met him. It's a strange expression. And when God saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahaniam. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, this is what you're going to tell Esau. Thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, Thus says your servant, not your brother, servant Jacob. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. 
I have oxen, donkeys, flock, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Okay? This guy is amazing. Life of Jacob is really, really amazing. And the messenger returned to Jacob saying, the messenger has taken the message to Esau and he returns to Jacob and this is what he says, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. How is he coming to meet you? (laughs) You know, and there are 400 men with him. He's not coming alone. There are 400 men coming to meet with him and Jacob said, I am toast. (laughs) I am done. (laughs) You know, 400 people coming to get my head for what I did 20 years back. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were there with him and the flocks and the herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Now, it's, isn't it interesting in verse 1 we read that Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. Now, as we read in chapter 28, we, saw in, we see in chapter 28 and verse 15, God said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. You know, God's grace followed Jacob. Nothing changes God's affection for his people. Whom he loves, he loves them to the end. He loves... His love is like himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at it. The chapter begins with, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Okay? And then he is devising a plan how to meet with his brother. There is a lesson for us there, but we will come to that. But what I want to bring home is the fact that God's grace follows his people. Nothing changes God's affection for us. Whatever we do and whatever we don't do, it, nothing changes his affections for us. That's why I often say, you don't have to do anything. God still loves you and accepts you. Okay? He, whom he loves, he loves to the end. His love is like himself, which is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you see in verse 3, Jacob forever seems to be planning and managing things. He is always planning how to get this thing done. He is managing things. When his father-in-law says, okay, the striped one will be mine, then he says, what should I do? Then he makes the sheep drink water looking at the striped, you know, the uh, wood and, you know, with the stripes on it. When it is plain, he brings plain, that, uh, you know, logs of wood and then makes the sheep. You know, he's always planning, conniving, managing things, how to cheat, how to get his business done. You know, he's, he is, but at the same time, this guy is amazing. We look at that. He, look, look at here, right of the bat, it starts, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And the next thing we read, you know, in verse 7, what does it say? Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He actually feared so much more than God himself. And then in verse 9, he starts praying. And his prayer is a model prayer. I tell you, he knows how to pray. Look at his prayer. And Jacob said, how does it pray? O God of my father Abraham 
and God of my father Isaac. O God who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred. He is claiming the promises of God, okay? He's saying, God, you told me, all right, that I may do you good, okay? And then he confesses. I am, un, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love or your covenantal love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. You know, he is calling, calling God on his promises. He is acknowledging that everything that he has is because of God. And then he says, please deliver me. He has no problem in telling, I'm scared. I am, you know, I don't know. I don't see a way out. And then he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He has no hesitation in telling God that I fear him. And then he goes on to say that he may come, but I fear that he may come and attack me, the mothers with their children. But you said, I'll surely do you good. Then again, he ends with his God's promise and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Look at his prayer. He calls on God of his father based on the covenant relationship. Jacob knew he had no other grounds to approach this great and gracious God. He clings on to the promises of God. He acknowledges his own unworthiness to receive any favor from God. He thankfully acknowledges God's goodness in his wandering and how much it had outdone his own expectation of what God is going to bless him with. He is not shy to tell God of his fears. He begins and ends with the promises of God. Okay? But look at this guy. Verse 13. He is not even finished his prayer. Verse 13. So he stayed there that night and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 eaves, 20 rams, 30 milking camel and it goes on. Then he handed over to his servants every drove, uh, you know, every drove by itself and said to his servant, pass on ahead of me and put a space between the drove and the drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you, to go? Where are you going? And to whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed and said, you know, he instructed the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him and you shall say, moreover your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. He finished a wonderful prayer and what does he do? He immediately goes back is planning and managing things. Look at this guy. He has finished such a wonderful prayer. We all can follow the model prayer. He talks about the promises of God. He talks about his unworthiness. He states his fear and he asks God to deliver him and he ends with the promises of God. Amazing prayer. The next thing he's planning. He's planning, oh, I will send them goats and 
Okay? So, no sooner has he finished praying, he resumes his planning, manifesting his unbelief, or at least a mixture of faith and unbelief. We see here a faith closely related to both despair and confidence in God. Look at the gift. Though Jacob had asked God to deliver him from his brother Esau, he evidently was not satisfied with that, and therefore he tried to appease him with a gift. Thus, his confidence was in the gift, then the God who made that, those gifts possible. And that's a valuable lesson for us. Even as we acknowledge the giver of all good things, we often misplace our trust in the gift than the giver of these gifts. Let me repeat it. Even as we acknowledge the giver of all good things, we often misplace our trust in the gift than in the giver of these gifts. Esau would let the gifts get the gifts in three installments, totaling 580 heads of animals. Jacob is used to managing his life. He got what he wanted. For him, the end was more important than the means. He confesses God's goodness and care, but it sounds empty. You know, how many times we trust the gifts that God has made possible than to trust God? How many times we often hear that we have to be wise, we have to be good stewards, we have to be cautious, you know, these are all good lines and these are all true. But I'll tell you, at least 80% of the time, what we are saying actually is, we have to, you know, you have heard that expression, you know, you should, you should count your cost. And Jesus tells us to do that. But most of the time, we use this expression not to please God or not to live the way God has asked us to live, but so that we can manage the gifts that God has given in a way we think it will take us to, this, to the ends that we are looking for. We trust the gifts that God has given and we forget the giver of all these gifts. We think our money, which God has made possible, will sustain us, forgetting it is God who sustains us. We think the job, which is a gift from God, will keep us going and we forget the God who makes that job possible. That is why we sell ourselves to our jobs, our employments. That is why we, we sacrifice the things of God so that we can meet the expectations of our employers because we think that the job which God so graciously gave us is going to put food on our table, forgetting it is God's grace that we have food on our table each evening, each afternoon and in the each morning. We often trust the education which God gives so graciously to his children. And we think that if we educate our children, which is God's gracious gift to us, that is going to save us. Look at the way we manage and plan our lives around, based on the gifts that God has given, forgetting the God who makes all these gifts possible. That is exactly what Jacob does here. That is exactly what Jacob is doing. He is acknowledging God. He is saying how great you are, how you have blessed us. We all do that, don't we? 
at the end of the day saying, Lord, if it was not for you, we wouldn't have any of these things. But at the next moment, we are thinking how we are going to spend our money, where we are going to spend it, how we are going to educate our children. And we roll in our bed thinking, oh, if they are not educated, what is going to happen to them? If you don't have enough money, how our bills are going to be paid? And we are worrying about all these things, forgetting the giver of all these gifts and what he is asking us to do. And what is he asking us to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. How stupid and how foolish are we? I am no better than Jacob. I say these lofty prayers, but I lose my sleep during the night. But we will look at that. Sometimes it is good that you lose your sleep in the night. When my eye is filled with my own management of things, I am not prepared to see God acting for me. And listen to this very carefully. Prayer is not the utterance of my need, but the mere superstitious performance of something which I think ought to be done. Or it may be asking God to sanctify my plans. Let me repeat this. When my eye is filled with my own management of things, I am not prepared to see God acting for me. Prayer is not the utterance of my need, but the mere superstitious performance of something which I think ought to be done or it may be asking God to sanctify my plans. Prayer is nothing but just a meaningless chant. It's just a meaningless exercise which if we don't do, we feel guilty about it. When you get up in the morning and when you say your prayers, if you don't say your prayer, you step out of the house and you say, oh, I didn't pray. Let me go back and pray. What is that? But you choose to live your life based on you managing it the way you think fit and forgetting the God who makes the day possible. We have to be brought to the end of our management to see that true wisdom is to repose in the full confidence upon God. And that is what we are seeing from verse 22. After helping his wife, you know, the same night he arose, took his two wives, his female servants, his 11 children, and Dina is the 12th, and crossed the ford of Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for saying, I have seen the face of God and yet my life has been delivered. <laughs> 
Jacob is alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. We see 24, verse 24. Basically in verse 22 we see is after helping his wife, concubines, 11 children, sending all his possession across Jabbok, which means he will empty, Jacob is alone. He is alone now. He is on this side. His wife, children, everything that he has is on the other side. He is alone here. He is going, God is going to deal with him. And he's alone here. And there is a strange story. And the question is, who is winning this night battle? Who wins this nocturnal wrestle? Jacob or the opponent? I believe that God wanted Jacob to see what a poor, feeble, worthless creature he was. When Jacob so stubbornly or unyieldingly or tenaciously held out against the divine dealing with him. And in verse 25, we see him wrestling. You know, in these verses, we see him wrestling with this man. You know, I would like to believe he's a theophany. You know, it's God himself. He's wrestling with him through the night. And in that situation, what God wanted Jacob to see was his, how poor, how feeble, how worthless a creature he was. And when he, Jacob is not willing or letting God deal with him, you know what God does? He touches the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him in verse 25. In a sense, Jacob emerges from his struggle broken. When the seat of his strength was touched, when his strength was brought to nothing, Jacob learned to say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Sometimes God has to bring us to our end before we truly mean what we say. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The sentence of death must be written on the flesh. The power of the cross must be entered into before we can steadily and happily walk with God. Until death is written on the flesh, there can be no real power with God and man. On the wall, on a wall in his bedroom, Charles Spurgeon had a plaque with Isaiah 48 and verse 10. On it, it read, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. It is no mean thing to be chosen of God, he wrote. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We are chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, what happens? Beauty is marred. Fashion is destroyed. Strength is melted. Glory is consumed. What happens in the furnace? Beauty is marred. Fashion is destroyed. Strength is melted. Glory is consumed. Yet here eternal love reveals its secret and declares its choice. It is when we come to the end of ourselves that we will truly learn to cry out and say, you have to bless me. Because without you, I cannot live. Without you, I do not have an existence. Without you, I am done. We have to come to an end of ourselves. At the Nicene Council, an important church meeting in the 4th century, of the 318 delegates attending, 
fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg lamed by torture for their Christian faith. Of the 318 people who came to the Nicene Council in the 4th century AD, more than 300 of them were maimed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the people that God chooses are people who has been put through that furnace where everything which comes in the way of God working in and through us is burned and reduced to ashes. And out of that ashes, God picks us up. In his strength, he infuses us with his power so that we can find favor, not only with God, but also with man. That we can truly be the vessel that God wants us to be. See, when Jacob comes to that point, and when he realizes who he is, it's basically a confession. I am Jacob. When he says, I am, so that is what we see in verse 27. What do we see? This man is asking, what is your name? And this is what Jacob has to say. This marked a new era in the history of the cheating, con man, planning, Jacob. He had to confess that he is Jacob. He is a cheater. He is a con man. He is a manipulator. He has lived his life in his own terms. Lord, I have failed. I have failed miserably. I have come to an end. I have no strength left. Although Jacob lost the encounter physically, he won a great spiritual battle. He learned to triumph through defeat. To be strong through weakness, emptied of self and of confidence in his own cleverness, he confessed he was Jacob, a supplanter, a con man. God then changed his name to Israel, which means God rules, one who strives with God, a prince of God. You know, this message tells me one thing. Jason, you have to come to the end of your cleverness. Jason, you have to come to the end of yourself. Jason, you cannot live life on your own terms. Even when I battle with my own sins and guilt, I can see so much of my own self in how I am going to deal with those things. I forget God's grace. But God is saying, will you come to me so that I can bless you? Will you come to an end of yourself so that I can bless you? My dear people, don't live life, you know, the way you think it needs to be lived. Live your life in the way that God wants you to and you will find rich blessing. He is calling us and asking, what is your name? He is asking us this afternoon, where do you stand? What is your name? What is your situation in life? How do you live your life? Have you come to an end of yourself? Have you allowed me to deal with you so that I can bless you? Throw away the idols which we have created for ourselves, my brothers, my sisters. Throw them away. Your money is going to go. Your education is not going to save you. Your employment will not sustain you. Your pension funds is not going to secure your future. 
your health and your beauty which you have is going to perish with time. Even as you grow older, your body is going to grow old and you're going to suffer from aches and pains. You will find yourself at a time when you will not be even able to walk. Don't spend your life in things which don't really matter. But you know there's something which matters and that is allowing God to work in and through us. And for that to happen, we have to come to the place where Jacob was brought by the grace of God, where he confesses and where he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. Have we come to that place? If not, God wants us to come to that place. Verse 29, it's very strange after God Blesses him, means, you know, in verse 27, what did we read? And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, verse 28. Then he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. But Jacob is not satisfied. And that is where sometimes we also need to draw lines. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. You know, I don't think that was a, Good question that Jacob asked. In asking God his name, what did God tell him? What is that you ask my name? You know, he doesn't answer him and tell him this is my name. You know why? He does not permit his mystery and his freedom to be touched. God is transcendent. God is not you and me. He is a God. He is the mighty God. He comes and deals with us on his terms. And so you cannot cross a certain line. And he chooses, he asks him his name. He says, why do you want to know my name? And in so doing, what is God doing? He does not permit the mystery and his freedom to be touched by Jacob. But you know the greatness of our God? It is that he exercises his freedom to bless Jacob. He exercises his freedom, you know, nevertheless, God exercises his freedom to bless Jacob. That is our God. He is a God far above us. He is a transcendent God. He is the almighty God by whose words the earth were created and by whose word the earth is sustained and everything that there is. He is an amazing God. He is not our buddy. He is not the grandfather sitting up there to give you all what you need. He is not. He is an awesome God. It's the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom. He is a consuming fire. But at the same time, he uses his freedom to bless us. He will not allow his, that mystery or his freedom to be touched by humans. But he exercises his freedom on our behalf because of his son. We always got to keep that in mind. You know, what happens in blessing... The stolen blessings becomes legitimate. What he stole from his father, what he, what, he, what he got stealing from his brother through deceiving his father is now legitimate. The promise of Bethel that I'll be with you and I'll bless you is confirmed. And the petition that he prayed to rescue him from Esau is answered. And therefore he names the place Peniel, 
that is, I have seen the face of God and yet live to tell the story, thus honoring God's free grace. He acknowledges that it was God's mercy that he escaped with his life. It also reminds us of this truth. And I want to close with that. We may well struggle with him through the night. Remember this. We may well struggle with him through the night, but by daybreak, he only intends to bless us. Sometimes you may roll in your bed thinking, God, why? With no answers. You may be broken deep down thinking, Lord, why are you dealing with me the way you're dealing? You may have pain and agony for which you may never have some answers. You may ask so many questions. You may be struggling. You may be going through sleepless night. But always remember at the end of the day, when morning breaks, you will realize it is only his intention to put you through that or to allow you to go through that is so that he can bless you in the morning. That is what it is. We may well struggle with him through the night, but by daybreak, he only intends to bless us. Calvin, John Calvin captures the whole incident beautifully. God appears to be weak against us that, me, that he may conquer in us. You know, isn't that so true? We see here Jacob, you know, wrestling, and we often think he won the, won the wrestling match. He won against God, and God says he strived and he prevailed, right? But the story is something much more. God appears to be weak against us that he may conquer in us. And I think we see that in the Son, we see that in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He appears to be weak. He appears to be helpless. He appears to hang between heaven and earth. You know, just hanging there, people thinking how this weak person can ever save the world. But you know something? In him becoming human, in him becoming weak, in him appearing to be helpless, God has conquered us with his love. So that I would say he captures it quite well. God appears to be weak against us that he may conquer in us. So my prayer this afternoon is, even as we go home, whatever our struggles and our battles, it's once again time to say thank you God for your word. And Lord, help us to live the life that you're calling us to so that we may throw away the idols that, you know, we have created for ourselves so that God has a free hand in using you and me. And where God has to, you know, if God is asking you, what's your name? It's a good time to say, this is who I am. Will you take me? Will you change me? And will you use me for your kingdom? Father God, we want to thank you for this beautiful time that you've given us. Thank you for the story of Jacob. Lord, when he prayed, he prayed, O oh God, the father of Abraham and Isaac. But today when, we, when the Jews pray, they pray the father of Abraham, our father Abraham, the God of our father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. O oh God, what a transformation. A con man now is associated with, with such a such he is elevated to such a place that the children of Israel, even today, they look back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh God, that is what you do with people who are willing to be emptied of themselves so that you can work in and through them. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness in telling us, oh Lord, 
of your grace, in telling us of how you work, how you choose to work in, with, O oh Lord, in and through humans, Lord. O oh God, we thank you for your continuing love and for your grace that you have showered on us in and through your Son. Thank you for allowing your Son, O oh Lord, to allowing him to become man, so that in so doing, Lord, we, the children of dust, O oh God, can become children of God. We thank you for that. We thank you for this wonderful afternoon. And we pray, Lord, that even as we go, that you'll be with us, that you will bless us, and that you will keep us till we meet again. For we ask and offer it in Christ's name. Amen.